Yeah, you know, I kind of like the idea of a character that's so clumsy they become immortal. Scotch <laughs> shenanigans. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 359 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the Game of Dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I do web things. I'm Sam, and I'm a tarnished. You're. An elder, a, a tarnished? An oh, reference. okay. Yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is April 14th, 2020. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. Uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got, a, we, got a, we got one. We got one on the line. Mm. Uh, donation from Wuzzle, who says, The podcast gave me so much entertaining and directional value that I kind of want to provide a coffee and tea for the whole team. Ooh, wow. I, hope, I hope 50 bucks is enough to organize that. Uh, so thank you very much yeah, for the that's awesome. healthy donation. Unfortunately, because of inflation, that is only a half of a coffee. So, <laughs> but we'll, we'll just dunk our paper straws into it and kind of share. Sip it together. You know? It'll be like real romantic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, non-game dev companies and people in general should more often apply your problem-solving mindset. Well done. Oh, so thanks. thank you very much. Much appreciated. Uh, and of course, we'd like to thank our recurring supporters as well. Now let's talk about, let's talk about Elden Ring. Yeah. Uh, Sam, you beat it. You, or it can be beaten, right? It you can beat be it. Beaten. Or, yes. Yes. Okay. I finished it. Uh, so yeah, I had, it's, it's. Probably the most, uh, I'd say, engaged with a game that I've been in, I think, like at least a decade, I would guess. Um, and, you know, this is coming wow. off of like probably the last one is like Monster Train. I think I talked about just being kind of stuck in for like 70 hours or so. Um, Elden Ring took me uh, 112 hours on my one character to beat it. But in terms of total play, to get to that point, I also started a couple a couple different characters and, you know, messed around that way. And so I think it's like a probably around 140 hours or something like that total. Um, nice. Yeah. And I will just say that my, the sense I get from it is, is that it offers this level of just constant surprise and uh, discovery that as you learn how to like kind of read the game, you talk about like game fluent design fluency, right? Um, mm -hmm. It has a very different kind of design fluency required than a lot of uh, modern games. Where a lot of modern games can spell out how everything works. They very clearly point you to stuff, you know, nothing's really too hidden. Uh, and really you're just trying to, you learn how the designers lay out levels and stuff like that, but uh, there's not nearly as much of you having to meet the designer halfway um, in most modern game design. That's the way I think about it. Versus these ones, they're very much, they're like, you're going to come like 80% of the way here. Uh, well, you have to engage. You like, really have I to had engage. a I had a little mini debate with some of my online gaming buddies about about storytelling in mm -hmm. games because because in so many games you skip cutscenes, you skip dialogue, you just skip, 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 yep. right? Um, and then you just carry on, and you can go ahead and progress through the game because the because oftentimes in games they use the story to just add flavor, mm -hmm. yeah, add some meaning, but not actually uh, useful engagement. Right. It, it doesn't. It doesn't give you information, right? Like, it, and instead, and this is something that we kind of debated about back when we worked on the original Crashlands. Of you know, when you get a quest from somebody, should we, you know, highlight the things you're supposed to interact with? Should we put a little tracker in the quest log that says like, oh, you know, collected, you know, zero out of seven, uh, 
flowers or whatever. Um, ultimately, we decided in, in Crashlands to not lay out checklists of information of stuff that you mm-hmm. do in your quest because we wanted we wanted it to be the case that we as developers were forced to write quests that actually meant something where you had to read what was in there and then figure out what you know what to do. Um, because otherwise, why do it? Like why why yeah, add an entire it. game system that doesn't add anything? Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? Well, I think there's there's a lot of things that uh, you've been trained actually to ignore. Is sort of the, what I think it comes down to in in a lot of game design. So you know, tool tips for stuff. Who cares? I don't even know. I don't even know like the weird little you know flavor text just description of this thing. Uh, but something like Elden Ring, they hide. They hide basically mechanics in flavor text, basically a hint at how something works uh, that you wouldn't possibly think to do. Uh, they also hide like not just sort of lore information, of course, which again is you don't need that from a game context or like a game a mechanical perspective. But they they just like hide stuff all over the place, and so um, yeah, just it was a really kind of an incredible and delightful experience. I think all the way through. My one critique of it is actually sort of like that I, I believe that they took they take it too far in one very particular way, which is there's there's six endings to the game that you can get. And these are depending on whether or not you sort of followed some rabbit holes uh, and and somehow managed to complete some of these quest lines that don't give you very many hints at all about how the hell you can actually complete them, right? Like NPCs will be like, I'm leaving now. And then they'll just disappear. There's a whole world, right? It's like you, if you happen across them, like that's nice. They (laughs) don't, where'd they go? Yeah. They don't always give hints about where the hell they're going to go like at all. And so there's that, like you can't, there's not a lot of actual agency in terms of following those quest chains. And then because the dialogue is so sparse and purposefully obfuscating, it's very hard to tell what the hell someone is trying to do or if you like if you would really want to help them do that thing you know what i mean uh yeah such that you just kind of show up and you just show up and do murders wherever it's possible to do so right um because it's like the mechanics of the game well it's 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 like it's not about you the game right yeah because like in, in a game like um I think the Zelda games are mm-hmm. the most hilarious where you can like walk into a person's house and just start smashing shit, right? Yeah. Like to get money out of all of their jars and stuff. And then you talk to them and they're like, hey, buddy, need anything? Can I get you anything? Let me give, let me ex- explicitly explain to you what you personally need to do next, yeah. right? Uh, like they only exist to serve your needs as the protagonist, right? And Elden and Elden Ring, it, it sounds it's sort of like, the other way around. I'm like it feels very. I'm like, why? Like everybody's got their own shit going on, and you're just kind of showing up and getting in the way. Yeah, well, not only that though, but like they, they enlist you as to help, but you also you don't even know what the hell they're doing. And uh, so the case in point here is that when it comes to the end, you know, you can you can essentially choose your ending depending on which ones you've uh, managed to, which one of these quests you've managed to unlock. And so you get to this, you you know, beat the final boss and you have this moment where you can choose to sort of do like the standard ending or then one of these different ones, right? The problem is, you know, like I do want to choose how to end this like incredible adventure I've been on in a meaningful way, but everything has been so opaque that I can't actually make a meaningful choice because I don't know, I have no clue about how the hell this is like, what if I select this final ending from this character that I helped on a quest line, I don't really have a good notion about how it's going to, like what it's going to do. And in fact, that's kind of what happened, which is like I had one right, of these so far. Yeah, because 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 the other side of the problem is that you don't have choice because like everything's just laid out for you, right? So that yes, 
when you're going to make a choice, there isn't one to be made, actually. Like, even if one's presented as if it's a choice, there's, like, obviously the right path. There's, you know, whatever, right? But in this case, and that's not great, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But in this case, it's the other way where they're like, you know so little about the consequences of your choices that you also don't you really also cannot meaningfully decide. Yeah, hundred percent. But so, that that's kind of that's kind of that's kind of cool though, right? Because it's that's like life. You know, you you never know whether the thing that you've decided to do is going to lead to sort of like the right outcome for yeah. you or whatever. You know, uh, you're just kind of doing stuff based on whatever limited information you have and and hoping for the best, which kind of sounds like. That's the game's sort of whole kind of their, yes, right? it's kind of their spiel, right? But I think what's, yeah. what's interesting about that is that why well, I, I think it's true about like life choices in general. I think when it comes to you know how how you reflect those things from an art standpoint is something like a video game. Um, I do think it's it's a weird choice in the sense that it can kind of it kind of can take a bit of. I'm not asking for a particular. I'm not asking for a particular ending or like a triumphant ending or whatever. I'm just asking for one that I can fucking understand, basically, if that makes sense. Um, after having spent, you know, 112 hours in this world and be like, I, I understand what just happened, which even when it, after I did this particular ending, I was like, I don't, I still don't know what that means. I have like, like what? <laughs> which is a, what, I'm gonna a assume, weird ending, you know? I'm going to assume that, that the game doesn't stop at this point. You like can, you can keep playing, right? I started. I started to into the, the, the end. Yeah, I started to the new game plus once. I think. I think you just go to new game plus, but I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, this is something that that I, I personally kind of grapple with in terms of of endings in video games. Yeah. Where so so in in Crashlands we we have the main story and then we have all these side quests right and we didn't want it to be the case that if you completed the main story that you're just done now because there's may have been other stuff that you left unresolved right mm-hmm. and so we did this thing that I still think feels weird but I don't know a better way to do it which is like you you beat the last boss and then you know there's like a little ending sort of um, scene that happens mm-hmm. uh, but then you're free to to carry on walking around the world, mm-hmm. right? So it, it kind of it kind of feels like, you know, like the shawarma scene in the Avengers where like the movie's over and stuff. And then it kind of cuts to these characters like they're still there. They still have lives. And they've got to, you know, they got to keep doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and nothing you do really then from that point forward compares to the thing that you've accomplished, right? Mm. You, you've met, you've met your ultimate goal. You've done all the stuff. Um, and so everything you do at that point forward, you're not really working toward any grander thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so in a weird way, like having an ending in a game is really demotivating once you get, once you get past it. Yeah. I think it's it's because it belies the the non-serial nature of most, how most games are made now, like the intended outcome. I think if you have a totally linear sequence of stuff, then yeah. Perfect ends, you know, it all makes sense and you can make something tight. I think as soon as you want to have a lot more of the openness and player choice, which is what video games are good at, like that's the core you know, differentiating factor there as far as the opportunities for storytelling, that it does make endings uh, it's very challenging to pull off, I think. Well, I, I think though, I think that kind of speaks to the conflict between, you know, you have, a, you have open world games where the player can go around and do all kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then having that concept adhere to the storytelling uh sort of like the normal storytelling mode of 
there's a main story and then there's some side stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one interesting thing that I, I don't think I've seen before is the idea of like an open world game that is only side stories, mm-hmm. right? And like, and like each, some of those side stories are, will be like quite involved and feel like a main story in terms of how far they go, you know? Um, I, I think that Final Fantasy uh, 14, the MMO, is, mm. is kind of like this um, because it's an MMO, so it's meant to just go on forever, right? And so they, they have kind of like a lot of parallel stories running side by side all of the time. And some of them are super consequential and some of them are, you know, just like, oh, this person needs People help with this with thing. Stuff. And it's, right. you know, it's just kind of, yeah. Um, but as far as I understand, there's not a sp- – like one specific overarching most important story that the entire game kind of revolves around. Cause the point of the game is to just be like live in that world and just explore and just be there. Right. right. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tricky. Yeah. It's very, it's very like tricky. That narrative it's like, plus open world stuff. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, as far as like total critiques for a game, it's pretty uh, light, frankly. Um, which is, I think, if you if you had to pick up a game and sort of suffer through the first bit of learning on it, because it's the truth with when a game like this, as far as how the punishment gets doled out, it's very intense, uh, very technical, very hard to play. Um, this would be the one, you know what I mean? Like it's really, <laughs> I, can't, I would yeah. I can't recommend it enough. Very very good, it's a very good. Now, this also reminds me. So I I spoke at a panel um, this past Sunday, which was my first my first public appearance since the before times. Which was it was it was pretty fun. It was over at Webster University. It was part of their uh, Kinematifest, which is typically is traditionally a film event, and they added games in um, this year, but in a very lightweight way. So I was one of the only game developers there. And on the panel, it was me, um, another Unity developer, and then otherwise just you know, film people and animators and stuff. Um, so the questions we were getting were kind of broad because they were intended to kind of be about both games and film. But one of the funny contrasts that happened was when uh, one of the questions was asked to the documentary filmmaker about, you know, uh, how do you how do you know to cut stuff? Like how do you how do you decide which stories to cut and which you know aspects of your documentary to cut? You know, and you talk about how it's all about runtime and it's. You've got your 60 minutes and you've you've got to just fit it in 60 minutes, right? Um, and then, of course, the question came over to me and I'm like, yeah, we don't really cut things <laughs> Which, uh, because you can always get more playtime. If, if you've got a good story, if you've got good content, uh, the only question is how good are your tools and yes. do your tools allow you to easily add those things in, a, in an efficient way, right? Because if you have a new story, a storyline or something – if it takes you two days to get that story in, fuck yeah, just put it in there. Yep. That's great, right? But if it takes two weeks to put it in or two months to put it in, then now suddenly you're not you're not cutting stuff down for runtime. You're just cutting stuff down for, for cost. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, because in a game, like the more the merrier. You just get as much stuff in it as you can to fit within your budget mm-hmm. uh, and leave those breadcrumbs for the player to go find those things and explore them because you can always have more, right? But it's such an interesting sort of different um, – different contrast and in thinking about when you're talking about Elden Ring, like, is it worth playing or whatever? And it's like 60 bucks and you, and you can put like 140 hours uh, into Mm -hmm. it, you know, versus going to, you know, pay 10, 15, whatever bucks to go get a movie ticket. And it's like two hours, 90 minutes, (laughs) two hours and you're done. Right. Um, and you could rewatch it, but like, you'd have to rewatch a movie like 50 times (laughs) 
to get the same amount of of, of engagement time. Yep, that's and it wouldn't and it true. wouldn't really it wouldn't really give you it wouldn't that's give you absurd. more in hour thirty. <laughs> uh, it would give you less with each watch in a lot of cases. So yeah, I, yeah, it's I think the the, pretty wild. the thing I found I think most inspiring about it is the just the sheer variety, which is one of the things we've been talking about is what we're aiming for with Crash and Zoom, part of the reason we're making the game changer uh, and all this stuff, is it's a game about variety. It's about breadth um, in a way that I think you see very few games manage to actually pull off. What I mean by that is that there's just all sorts of weird stuff that you can sort of get it kind of into. And there's an, just enough content in that vein that you can like kid out your character, for example, to like put people to sleep. Uh, like as like yeah. that's the, there's only like one or two things that do that, but you can like, you could try it. You could figure out who it works on and then like make a whole weird build around it. You know, and well, just, I think it's, I it's, in, yeah, it's inspiring because it's, it's, Doing the stuff that we set out as like a vision of the kinds of things that we wanted to be able to do in Crashlands 2, yeah. right? Which is to say, if you as a player see some, see a little tease of a concept uh, yeah. of like how something works in the game and you, you think- pull like, on that string, right? Yeah, I want to go explore what that is about. And there is, and there's stuff there. Like yeah. there's, there's ways for you to engage with that on a deeper level, Um and learn all about that thing as opposed to, oh, that's just, you know, that's just how poison works. And like, here's like a yeah. poisony dagger and then you're done now. And that's the extent <laughs> yeah. of what you can do to engage with like being a poisoner person. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, you know, which isn't to say that, you know, we can necessarily pull off what they did. We don't know yet, we'll but, uh, but at the same time, it's very cool to see somebody who had this, like to see a game that has that same um, thought process where they're like, this is what we want the player experience to be like. Mm-hmm. And that they actually nailed it. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a good like inspirational kind of touchstone, I think. Absolutely. So, well, congrats for, for finishing that. Thank you. I'm an Elden Lord now. You can refer to me as such uh, going forward. That's all. Oh, what's this Elden tarnished Lord. thing? I don't even so the, what is they that? Had, that's like their it's their name of like what you are, which is a, a tarnished, which is like a essentially a person who can't die, um, who can see the light of grace that sort of guides you to whatever the hell you're supposed to be doing. Um, it's all but why weird. is it tarnished? I don't Did know. you? That's the thing. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows. There's why. no there's no like story explanation. That I'm sure there like, is, but I never picked up on it because uh, it's confusing. Maybe spot. it's like uh, you accidentally spilled hummus on your soul, and so like whenever Ooh, yeah. you go, whenever you go to hell or heaven or wherever, your soul comes in like, oh, this is filthy. Send it back, right? And so then here. you just keep you just keep resurrecting because you kind of got like a your your soul got mm-hmm. tarnished, yep. so you can't die anymore. Got that hummus stain. The devil doesn't want that. Get out. Get out of here. Yeah, you know, I kind of like the idea of a character that's so clumsy they become immortal <laughs> <laughs> because they spilled something onto their soul and it broke the the way that their soul is supposed to engage with the afterlife. You that's, know, yeah. that's that sounds. We'll jot that down. That sounds like that's like write that. Write they, that down. They got, they got so much <laughs> sticky stuff on it that it's just stuck inside their body. It's now. just gross. They go to the <laughs> yeah. afterlife, and whoever's guarding the the river or whatever is like, "Ugh, take it back!" No, send this back. Send this back. Get this cleaned or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there is no there is no soul cleaner. No, you know nobody's managed to get their soul that gross before. Uh, there's no there's no oxy clean or whatever. They I can also get that like out. that it's not even yeah. a moralistic gross. Like like. 
you got a no. It's just evil it's just soul like or whatever. It's just sticky. It's just, stuff, you just you know? got stuff on. It's just gross. The, the fairy person who takes you across the river is like, nah, nah, fuck that. Like, yeah, I don't get want in that my shit in my boat. Yeah, <laughs> like I got, I got a business to run here. You see these you know? cool like, robes? I couldn't get that. Out of this. <laughs> yeah. You know how expensive it is to dry clean this incredible robe? God. Yeah, there's two rules for getting across <laughs> the river of the undead, right? It's bring me a silver coin and don't fuck up my boat. Yeah, yep. right. No, no stinky like, souls allowed. Yeah, yeah. No drinks, no drinks. But you no just, you just, yeah, yeah, you just gross. Get out of here. <laughs> go, go live forever. I'm, I'm out of here. Right, let's go on to some questions. Yeah, uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. Uh, we may even get to two questions today. No promises. Uh, highest upvoted question comes from. Ronan Game Dev, who says, is Levelhead's full screen fake? Occasionally, I rack my brain trying to figure out how you did full screen switching so smoothly. Because I also use Game Maker 2, uh, Game Maker Studio 2. I should have the same result. Then I noticed you don't offer bordered windows. Uh, detective work. Okay, okay. So <laughs> I'm not going to get too in the weeds. Yeah. 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 Uh, what does so full screen even... Yeah. mean with respect paint to paint a picture yeah. for people who okay. don't understand what we're even talking about already. So there's there's two kinds of window that you can have in, you know, windows. Uh, one <laughs> is yeah. one is bordered and the other is borderless. So a bordered window is one where you actually have a little bar at the top and you can like click that bar and drag it around there's and there's a little like a little X, X on there. Button. Yeah, there's a little like a little navigation bar a at the top. Little minimize you know? button usually, you know, that's sort of Yeah. Um, but one of the annoying things about, uh, about game maker, okay. Is that you cannot, uh, change your game from bordered to borderless, uh, at runtime, which means while so the in a lot of running. games, while the game is running. Yeah. So, so we, we can't add a setting to allow you to choose between bordered and borderless mode. Okay. Uh, so in a lot of games, you'll have like a bordered window and you can hit the little like maximize button or something like that. And it'll like get. You know, to be the full screen size or whatever. I mean, it, it used to be really um, common in games where you like go through their graphic settings that you'd have to restart the game once you fiddled with yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah. But, but these days yeah. you don't see that very much anymore. Yeah. And so basically what we found was that um and, and then there's there's a final option, which is the full screen mode, which it it basically has your game take over. So if it was if it did have a border, suddenly you don't see the border anymore, mm -hmm. right? It takes over, it gets a special sort of flag that allows it to pull more resources from the graphics card, it allows it to pull more power from CPU, and it also kind of suppresses uh, background applications and stuff like that. Yeah, because the idea is um, it's, it's like taking over, right? It's like- It's yeah, taking over. So it kind of get yeah, so your system kind of gives it more, more resources. Um, so what we kind of found with Levelhead was that that there's also a third option that a lot of games have, which is the borderless full screen windowed mode, which is where there's no border and the game grows to be the size of the screen, but it doesn't do that full takeover thing. So you can like alt tab and go to other stuff and um, or if like you're move a streamer your mouse or something like that. Yeah. If you're a streamer, you can like move your cursor off of the game to your other monitor and your the game is still running and everything else is still fine too. Right. So the way I see it is like borderless full screen is the cream of the crop. That's like mm, the best. Take over everything. Give me all the resources. Yes. Bo yeah. Borderless full screen windowed. You get all the perks of full screen almost, um, but you well, can you still actually use your, use your damn perks. cursor. Right. You don't get the performance perks. Yeah. 
Um, but you know, if your game, if your game is kind of hinging on that, then that's kind of yeah. too tight in my opinion anyways. And also because of so many people using double monitors or streaming and stuff, uh, full screen mode, like the full, full screen mode is just not used as often anymore. Um, so what we did at Levelhead is we, we had to choose, uh, between do we have bordered windows and only the mega full screen, or do we do borderless window? which means that it's really awkward to like resize or move the window around because there's no bar to drag it with mm -hmm. if it's, you know, if it's smaller. Um, but we get the benefit of, of being able to do the, the fake full screen mm -hmm. where you can take that borderless window and just make it bigger. Just make it bigger, make it fill the, the screen. size of the screen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, then, and then you can also do the regular full screen fr from there. But we had to basically turn off the border around the thing so that we could do that uh, like borderless full screen mode. That's the best, that's just the best mode. Uh, so that's this kind of, this is one of those goofy things about game dev where like people who sort of romanticize what it means to work on games. <laughs> you know, don't think about like, I've spent, I personally have probably spent a hundred hours at least of my life just thinking about and fiddling with not even aspect ratios or resolutions, but like just full screen modes. Mm -hmm. What but works? Yeah, what doesn't work? How do they work? Aspect ratios, though, like that's been at least a thousand that's a, more hours. Like, that's yeah. a whole other fucking. That's a whole other thing. Um, and there are so many different ways that you could solve it that none of the game engines that are out there, you know, Unity, Game Maker, Unreal, whatever else, mm -hmm. go, go, is it Godot or Godot? I don't know, that one. Godot. Um, none of them inherently solve the problem for you in a way that's just going to like work for every yeah. situation, right? Um, and some, some of them do some stuff that will cover it. Some of them don't even give a shit and they're just like, I don't know, here's a bunch of like lines of code that you could use to mess with screen stuff, but, you know, we're not going to do anything out of the box, mm -hmm. right? Um, well, it's, and, I mean, it's, it's hard to know what to do out of the box, right? Because- it the is, problem yeah. with screen resolution is, well, I mean, there's a lot of problems, right? But yeah, <laughs> but the main thing is it changes what you see, right? Like changes if, what you see. If you yep. handle it, because you have basically two options. One is you don't handle it and you say, it's always four by three and we'll just like put black, black around bars. the screen or whatever, right? To adjust. Uh, but of course, that's the worst possible experience for your player. So mm -hmm. the thing you want to mostly do is just fill up the screen the whole time, no matter what, right? But as soon as you're doing that, where you can have basically a square, like with an iPad, or like a two-by-one, you know, modern phone, right? Uh, or people can be on their wide-ass monitors that go to like three-by-one, and, and it's just absurd. <laughs> there are five-by-one monitors. Like, yeah. We actually, we actually, so one of the things we have in our games is we have deve a developer section in our settings that only developers can use, which has stuff like faking ludicrous aspect mode. ratios, yeah. which one of the, one of the aspect ratios that we use is we just call it ludicrous mode, which is a five by one. Uh, so, so your screen is 20% as tall as it is wide. And we, mm -hmm. you know, we did that to like test the level head main menu. And in that, in that case, we actually do put black bars because like well, once it's point, that, I mean, it's some, like, the, cause the thing is on the main menu level, head, there's nothing else out there. Like once you go that far off the screen, like Sam didn't draw, you know, four times as much stuff as he needed to, to fill out the main well, menu. And that's exactly the that point. That would have right? been it's, weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a question of what, how do you fill up the, how, how do you adjust the space for the episode? And actually Levelhead is a really good example of this problem because this is, not only is this just a like, well, what, what do you put there kind of a problem, right? 
But it has enormous yeah. impact on design, design because yeah. if two different players actually see different s- fractions of the world that they're in, then what does that mean when you're designing for that? So like when we're dealing with things mm-hmm. like secrets, right, in, in uh, level head, or the harder one is things like things that have to detect your presence so you can like move yep. along them or whatever, right? Then, uh, or, or something that like knows that you can see it, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to design logic around that, we're like, if you... If you, you get, can't use the view, you can't, you can't use, use the, the view. camera. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so like we had to do all kinds of weird stuff and like come up with design constraints around it where for the most part, we try to just show you the whole screen, but you'll notice there are certain, I'm pretty sure we, it's been long enough. Mm-hmm. I don't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure there are places where we do constrain down to like a three by four, right? With black bars and stuff, aren't there? Yes. Scenarios that is, that. so when, when player, so in level head, the player can design levels where they take over the camera. Oh, that was a big mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so whenever the camera gets grabbed by a player, we force the game into a 16 by 9 aspect ratio. Yeah. So, so we, we, tuck in, we tuck in black bars because the problem would be like the camera, if you go out off screen, yeah, if you go out of the view, you die. Well, if one person has a five by one <laughs> monitor, they they can't be killed. Yep. The yep. camera can never kill this the person. because, the, And they can yeah. make a level that kills everybody, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and so there, there was some aspect of this where, where we had to basically force our level designer players to think about, or rather, we had to force them to adhere to the same kinds of constraints that we have to adhere to, mm-hmm. which is if the camera, if you make the camera matter, then you have to make everybody have the same camera. Yeah, yeah. right. I think it's the camera so, usually does matter because, like, I mean, if you can imagine it always matters game. somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it matters but if it matters so, if it matters so much that people die, right? Yeah. Then it's that like okay, really then important. we have to standardize. It. So, like yeah. as developers, we have to just say, well, we just can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like we can't, we can't make a game where like going off screen kills you, uh, with the exception of. So we have like um, in Flop Rocket, yeah. right? You can go off the left side of the screen, you can go backwards and mm-hmm. and die. But if your if your aspect ratio gets wider, uh, we actually just kind of shift the whole game view so you don't get like more space to go backwards kind of a yeah. thing right so like you just see more there, there forwards are, yeah right? yeah yeah so there, there are considerations there but but i think you're right this is like the it's like this real esoteric like edges of technical nonsense stuff that you when you think about making games or game dev or game design or else you don't think about like these being the really annoying problems that you have to square with some like other thing you're trying to do <laughs> Yeah, well, it's I mean, true to me, for all of software because this is like when you're yeah. doing when you're doing web stuff. Like the thing, like one of the things you'd be paying attention to literally all the time is user authentication and permission status, right? Which yeah. is also can be true in games depending on what's going on in there. But um, but it's like literally if you if you when you when you first start learning like web dev, it's all like ooh look, it's like HTML. You can start making like how pretty this is. You can make a page. You, start, you just like start learning stuff about like how to make any sort of imagining all the cool stuff that you can make, right? And as you get further into it and start to try to make that stuff. And now you're deciding like now you're just now you're choosing a database, right? And it's like you just want to store some stuff and get it back, but it's like, well, how much stuff, you know? And like, how and often do you how do you want it? to get it back? How do you want to get it back? <laughs> you know, like, and like all these questions start to come in, and then how do you make sure the right people get the right stuff and don't get the wrong stuff, right? Yeah, and, and then you're spending ten days reading about all kinds of shit, and you haven't actually made the thing yeah. yet. I mean, like um, just as a as an example, because it's just like recent, just as an example of how absurd this stuff gets. Uh, it was back in like December or something. We were talking about something Seth was doing with the game changer. And we were talking about having a central server involved potentially to dole out IDs 
t- for stuff that we could guarantee were unique because the problem is if two people are working at the same time, uh, but they're not syncing in real time, then two it's people like generate two different it's IDs. The easiest metaphor, yeah. if you like. So, yeah. if, you, if you got a coat check, yeah. if you got a centralized location for everybody get their coats, then you got a ticket. Like no one has the same ticket, so you know that. Yeah, we want to make sure no two people end up with the same ID on accident because that creates yeah. all kinds of difficulty. So we're like, okay, well, and then the first because of how we had the initial design, we we're like, well, let's have this just be an incrementing number, right? Because that easy that would do a whole bunch of nice stuff for us, right? <laughs> this is one of those things that like. So you would think just having some entity out, like on the, you know, some computer somewhere, whose only job is to say, oh, I see you want an, an identifier. Like I, I see you want a number. I know what the last one I gave out was, so here's the next one, right? Plus here's one. the next one. Uh, yeah. And you would think that that would be easy to do, which is that part's true. But then to guarantee that you only give a new number each time and you never skip a number, those two things. Guaranteeing those two things is, it's not impossible, but it's like so weirdly. <laughs> it's annoying. It's annoyingly hard. It's so weirdly yeah. hard. And yeah. the only and way you can do it is by creating an immense performance bottleneck, right? It's like the yeah. only way it's possible. Because everything has to go through one place. Everything has to yeah, go through one is, place. And, and yeah. it's the it's requirement of those two things guaranteed at the same time, that it's always incrementing. Or actually, those three things. Always incrementing, always unique. And you're not skipping any numbers because yes. if you take away any one of those, all of a sudden it's an, easy, an easier problem. Then the but, whole thing is then the whole yeah. thing but the, is pointless. But the, but the thing is, it's like this is one of the things that I had to solve this a long time ago, also in my younger web dev days. And uh, and at that time, like there's there's a there's a there's a solution that you're going to see, and you're going to be like, oh, it's like perfect. It just does it right. But in the early days, you don't know what other questions to start asking. Like, yeah. well, but what happens when, right? And yeah. now I do. And so this time I, I was like went to the same set of solutions uh-huh. and asked some more questions. And it was like, Oh no, like, this is really like what happens. What happens when X? Oh, it breaks. What about the other yeah. thing? Yeah. It also breaks. What about the, no, yeah, it breaks yeah. then too. It just, <laughs> oh shit. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and, and again, like it's a thing you can, like you can do it, but now the better question to ask is like, okay, what if we didn't have all of those requirements? Right. And we changed it. And that's where the design, that's where the interplay between like that increasing technical knowledge, like we didn't used to design for, literally every aspect ratio for rounded corners on a phone or for whatever, right? We did just have black bars. We just had black bars, right? It's, but once Apple showed that. up and was like, iPhone X, 2.15 by one aspect ratio, baby. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly it was like, wow, this is way wider than yeah. anything we've seen before. Now we suddenly need Shit. to like actually solve this problem for real, right? Uh, and they're like, oh, also we punched holes in the screen. So also there's yeah. no such thing as corners anymore. Enjoy. Uh, yeah, suddenly we had to suddenly we had to really rethink our approach to assuming that generally everybody's playing on a sixteen by nine uh, view. Yeah, because right? actually almost nobody is now. Nobody is. You know. And you got those folding phones now. I mean, you know, there's like, did any of those work out? Yeah, like, I think people like them quite a bit because they're kind of yeah. me. Of course, as soon as you get something that you can tactically snap back to, I feel like that's just yeah. That first, I, I remember had, the first wave came out and like all of a sudden everybody did it. It was really weird. And then, but I it, think but all like I saw was bad ones, reports. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe it's like they. I think they're the third ones, and they point. don't because the bad reports is generally like they maybe they tend to break because it's a mechanical. It's freaking well, and, hinging a screen. Yeah, and like, and like, yeah, it was like, and you can see. The yeah, crease, like the the crease, or well, that was that was the breakthrough, right? It was that they had to make it so that the screen doesn't crease, so it actually kind of like tucks into a thing, and then it kind of just gets rounded, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. it kind of yeah. So they that's they've got, the key. Apparently, they're getting better. But I think the third one's out now. Interesting. Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't know, but anyway, this is the kind of <laughs> stuff where it's like. 
you know, yeah. I, I've talked to people who say, yeah, I really like beer. So I want to start brewing beer. Right. And it's like, okay, but like, are you into the biology of yeast? Yeah. That's what it's actually about. <laughs> Cause that's actually what you have to learn about, you yeah. know? Um, and it's really, I think it's Which really is very to, interesting, but yeah, but you it's very be interesting, it. yeah. but it's not the same kind of interesting as no. drinking beer. beer. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so that's, but also it's okay. If you start to go into something, you're like, wow, actually I, I hate this. Uh, like, uh, or rather like I'm, I thought this was going to be different and it, I don't actually find this enjoyable. Right. That, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Just go find something else that you are interested in and, and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, things are often way different than what you thought they were going to be. Yes. So, uh, next question comes uh, from also from Ronan Game Dev, Ooh, who two says for one. Well, two for one. Who says Seth mentioned the pressure he feels because of the switch to the game changer because of lack of content going into the game. Mm-hmm. That conversation made it seem like the studio decision making is largely collaborative. Does Adam being the CEO change the pressure at all? In those moments of panic or doubt, does the fact that Adam is driving the direction of the studio help you not worry? Adam, do you feel more pressure? Yeah, Adam. How do you feel? Uh, I can answer that part of the question and basically say, no, I do not feel nice. any pressure. But a lot, So my, my strategy has basically been um, once I quote unquote took over, because like, to me, it doesn't feel like that's actually what has happened. And I don't, it's still like, pretty collaborative. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah for me, the... For me, the like the my goals are basically just to figure out how do I how do I make sure that everybody has what they need to get their job done and they know what that job is and that we're all aligned on the the bigger picture, right? And and so that's been a matter of trying to it hasn't been about what people are doing specifically. It's been about the approaches that we're taking as a whole and how how we think about like the future of the studio and stuff. So so a lot of that comes down to things like trying to change the framing of the whole studio to think about that we're not here to make Crashlands 2. We're here to become a team that is capable of making things like Crashlands 2, since that's a very different thing, right? And by trying to swing that focus around and try to and trying to push everybody to have more autonomy, to allow more asynchronous stuff by improving tooling, by changing our practices so people are just less tightly coupled so that people can kind of just go off, you know, and do stuff, then we can end up at this point where kind of like everybody's doing what they think makes the most sense, like in the moment, applying their expertise, you know, in the moment to the problems that they understand the best. Cause like, I don't understand Seth's problems. I don't understand Sure's problems. I don't understand Sam's problems, right? Uh, they can explain them to me and then given enough context, I might be able to assist in some way, but I can't have all of the context because I don't have the, you know, months and years of, experience doing the stuff that they're doing. Yeah. So it's absurd to think like I should just decide what's going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so my goal is to make sure we have the resources we need and to help, help people have their brains on for the problem at hand. Well, I would say actually, Adam, what you've done for me since you've switched to CEO is, is you've provided a lot more perspective uh, on why it's absurd that I am feeling like I like, I'm feeling like there's pressure for me to do a certain thing mm-hmm. when if I were to stop and do some other thing, then I wouldn't have to worry about that feeling of pressure anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like I had, a, I had a call with somebody this week where I was talking through the game changer and how it works. And they had a really interesting question, which uh, is the exact same kind of question that I would have asked uh, <laughs> like a year ago. And he said, 
So the fact that you, so, so first he said, how have you managed to continue working on Crashlands 2 while you've been developing the Game Changer? And I said, well, we, we haven't. I haven't been. Yep. We haven't. Um, and he goes, so is this going to, are you going to have to, you know, punt the launch? Are you going to have to postpone your launch date? And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I said the only reason that we might even hit the launch date is because, <laughs> because we is because we stopped production for six months to make the game changer. <laughs> yep. And I was like, just think about it. If if the game changer only lets us move twice as fast, which is probably gonna be more like five or ten X, right? Yeah. Uh, if it only lets us move twice as fast, then we will already be ahead yep. by the end of this year. Yep. Right. And then the then the following year, we will get twice as much stuff in the game as we would have otherwise, right? So uh, if if we're gonna hit so, the launch, yeah, we now suddenly have three times the game we would have had yeah, by spending yeah, yeah. six whole months not working on it at all. Yeah, right. I was like, if we're if we we're gonna hit the launch date, is only gonna happen if we stopped working on the game. And he's like, you know, I don't know why I wasn't thinking about it that way, but that does actually make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's but th- yeah, that yeah, that idea that that uh, progress. What is it? Don't mistake activity for progress. Yeah. Right. And I think, um, you know, Adam has done a really good job of forcing all of us to zoom out and recognize like what, what are our actual problems and what does progress look like in solving those problems? Like just cause you're doing stuff and working hard doesn't mean that you're doing a good job and it doesn't mean that you're even doing the right things, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, I mean, we talked so, about this a lot in the last episode, I, th- I think if my, yeah. if my memory yeah. serves me right. Yeah. But it's the idea of, of what, what productivity means, right? Is it, and and the first, the first thing you have to do is actually make sure you really know what the goal is and have that fully aligned and, and you know articulated. And if it ever, if the goal ever is like to make the thing we're making right now, right, and that's mm-hmm. that is the goal. If that's your high level goal, you you can only have short term outcomes, and your long term will become increasingly worse relative to where it could have been otherwise. If you have that zoomed out view where the goal is to be able to produce things, then in the short term, the very short term. You'll it looks pro- like you're not doing anything. Yeah, you'll at produce all. a lot less, but it's because you're building on you know these. Like I'm, I'm it's like I've been working myself on just this tool set for making it easier for me to program basically and to manage my code and just like dumping time into this and solving these like really annoying, really and like hard's not quite the right word, but like just frustrating, aggravating, tiresome problems that like it's just really hard to like get through all the little tiny bugs that are all easy, but they're just like a million of them, you know. And in the past, my solution has always been like when I come across one of these things, just like deal with the annoyance in that moment, solve it in that one spot, and you know, and that's it. And just add even more code as a workaround. Which is yeah. exactly what happens. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just like battle after battle after battle. And so this time, just like really just solving all of these things. And so each one of these is just taking fucking forever. It's like so hard. And like yesterday, I was just fighting a thing, you know, that again, it was, it's the kind of thing that I normally have to fight in like little batches here and there. But I was trying to just solve it. And so I'm just like fighting it all fucking day. It's, horrible. And the whole time I'm doing, I'm like, oh, is this, you know, is this worth it? You know? And then on the other side, I just have this little tool where it's like, now when that problem comes up again, which it did immediately, it was like, oh yeah, just like do this, literally this one thing that takes half a second to even think about, you know, has no cognitive load. It's just, it's just done. And so I've been like spending a few months, basically similar to what others doing, just like building out, experimenting and trying to improve this tool set. And I haven't gotten to use it really. Right. I know what, I, how I'm going to use it. I know what like the, the core things I need from it are. And I've like, and I've got actually most of those in there, but until I have all of them, I can't actually like start using it for its purpose. Mm-hmm. And so this whole time it's just like, it's again, everything else is frozen. Nothing else is happening. Right. But I can, but I know like the moment I start actually 
using it, all of a sudden, I'll just be like, it'll be like I'll be at a dead sprint relative to where yeah, I Yeah, we'll get sprint. all that time back almost immediately. Yeah, just so fast. But it requires being willing to... And the thing is that is that it is actually the correct business move, right? It's also the correct it is. personal move, right? It's a Being able to one. do stuff way better and faster and cheaper is always the right move. It's just the right move. It's a challenging yeah. one if you, if you run your company in the ways most companies do, which is that you're sort of month to month on like a payroll sprint where you're like, are we going to make payroll? Which is how a lot of small businesses, uh, you know, operate. Mm-hmm. Most, a lot of companies are maybe three months out tops from, um, so, some employment. by choice, some not by choice. Exactly. But yeah. That is how it usually goes. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing is like, if you can't kick that, if you can't kick that out and make some meaningful decisions to start, uh, changing how your company relates to its finances such that you have some of that slack time where you can say, okay, we actually do have, we have six months, which means we can take a bit of time to do things a bit in a way that will speed us up permanently once they're complete. Um, as opposed to saying we look, oh, we don't have like we don't have time, which is true. I mean, like you, you do run it. That's sort of the trap, though, right? Which is like you get stuck in this space where the only thing you can do is that sort of short-term turnaround stuff. And I think we we identified you're pretty, just running a treadmill, you know. Where yeah, just, I think after it was almost like the, after the launch of after Crashlands launch, I feel like that was what that felt like, and we got hit by it so intensely. That yeah, we we're just underwater. That, we couldn't. Yeah, we couldn't it was just forward. like the more you do, you just still need to do more, and uh, and you just like just freaking go um, all the time. And it was just not. It was very painful, and not fun. Yeah, so I think we kind of. The only way it, to yeah. move ahead is to stop. Just stop. Stop moving <laughs> stop. ahead. Take us. Yeah. Well, figure uh, your figure your shit out, and yeah. then go. <laughs> and the and the other part is just like human human resource allocation, right? It's like is like just what are people doing with their time? And and we used to do just so much uh, like one on one things, like trying to help people organize what they were working on, try to like try to have, and we we each like try to have a full picture of what one of the person in the studio was doing, right? And uh, and we we all found that we were just like it was just kind of a bummer the whole time, you know, because it because uh, uh, we're basically just we just had to be we we didn't get to just like focus on the thing that we were trying to work on, trying to you know trying to move the studio forward with. Um, but also it didn't, it, it sort of started with the assumption that like we would know what was best, right? Mm-hmm. Once we, once we just had enough information. Yeah, spoiler that, alert. We don't, we don't know anything. <laughs> we don't, but the thing is like, but, the, but there's actually another, there's another even more subtle and important point, which is even if we did, if we're spending our time managing other people's stuff, um, even if it was the case that that would allow them to take a more optimal path, right? It's doing it at the cost of us not having to do that. Just tons of time. Right? So, yeah. so, uh, and, and the question of like, well, what, what do we do with like, you know, say, so Jordan, our full-time QA, when we're like, when we're in the middle of like doing the game changer stuff and literally nothing is changing in the game, right? Mm-hmm. And the game changer is too early to even be tested. It's like, cause that, there's a few month window where that was true. Uh, so like now, listen, like normally we would worry like, oh shit, what do we do with, what do we do with Jordan's time now? Right. And, and in other mm-hmm. studios, you might say like, okay, I guess we'll have to fire and maybe rehire later or whatever. Right. Like that kind of, that's the kind of questions that start getting asked. And at, for, for me at this point, I was just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like he, he has the context here that he's built here and the skill, like learning how to work with our stuff and how to test our things. He does a good job. So he needs to still be here when we need to start mm-hmm. testing yep. again. So in the interim, because his job is not to test Crashlands Stew, his job is to to assure quality, to, to assure quality, quality <laughs> but assure that he is able to deliver on the question of is this passing a quality Good. bar, right? Which means there's all kinds of of concepts he can go investigate. There's all kinds of tools he can start to make. There's things he can learn, whatever, right? So like that's what goes into that time, and I don't need to decide what that looks like. I don't need to worry about whether the thing that he chose 
is the right thing. Is quote, the quote, the right thing yep. or yeah. the best thing or whatever. If it just seems like it makes enough sense and he just like makes a case for it and is like, here's what I want to do and why. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, go do yeah. that. It's very go do that. Because yeah. yeah, the worst case scenario is even if it turned out that like he decided to do a bunch of stuff and it just came to, somehow came to nothing, which I believe is basically impossible because that means you have to not be able to learn. But mm-hmm. if it came to basically nothing after two months or whatever, and then we need testing again. Perfect. He's here. He can he could do testing again, right? Like we haven't actually lost it. And it's it's there's a there's this obsession about a combination of productivity and like of not wasting money or just not wasting time or not wasting whatever, right? And the the sort of the paradox of that is that the obsession with it causes you to do both because yes. you mistake doing stuff for making progress. And that's just not what that is, because the more stuff you do, the more stuff you have to do to because every feature is a bug. Well, I mean, feature is a collection of bugs and a thing that has to be maintained. And the worse you make it, the harder, the, the longer and harder the maintenance costs are for just the rest of time, you know? And, oh, it's uh, such an easy trap. Like it's, I mean, it's, it's the, the guaranteed we, trap. It's the one you just it's have the to. trap. Yeah. It's yeah. Like even when we, when we first started um, bringing people into the studio as employees, we had that mindset as well, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, yeah. there's, there's work time, which is, you know, you're, you come into the office, you do your, you do your production, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then there's your, uh, you know, your personal growth, your professional growth, your learning, whatever. And that's stuff that you do on your own time. Yeah. Cause right. there's you a moralistic do that. You do judgment that. attached to it really, which is like, are you improving yourself on your own, like of your own volition at all times? Yeah. Even? Yeah. And it's this Fucking idea weird. that if you, if you come into the office and you aren't immediately, you know, and you aren't hour by hour creating stuff that then becomes value, that you are not adding value to the to the company. Well, it's also that, right? which is that, just not true. But it's also the idea that's coupled with all this of if you don't know how to do something that you're working on, right? That that is that's basically the way that the way that we've all been taught, the way like we're steeped in this mm-hmm. stuff is that is that your job is to be able is to be able to do the thing that you're supposed to be doing right and so if you can't that's that's now a personal problem that you need to solve yeah. outside of the context of work because at work Not is to personal yeah it's yeah. a personal problem and so like so so your inability to do something is a personal problem that you're supposed to now be solving on your personal time then right and like i certainly had that that like in my own brain about myself that was also true oh right? yeah and and so, you know, so we inherited that. We forced it upon everybody else. Too. Oh, everybody else already had that built in, you know, at the same time too. We all just had it. We all yeah. just had it. And, uh, but it's the idea that, well, no, because you can't, if you're, if you're actually doing stuff that improves and changes over time, you can't possibly know what you're supposed to be doing or how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not possible. If there's no room for that, then the only thing you can do is stay on the treadmill and just keep making your future harder. You know, you have to be able to. Well, yeah. Well, and, and it creates this internal mindset of, oh shit, I just ran into something at work that I don't know how to do, but I'm supposed to know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to kind of keep to myself and just keep banging my head against this problem, you know, on the clock uh, without actually knowing what I'm doing and also without bringing anybody else in because I don't want them to know that I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Because you don't know. And then you're just kind of. Stuck yeah. on it, and of know? course, like most yeah. people can't afford uh, to spend their time outside of work doing yeah. just work stuff again, right? And so then you also now like, you yeah, tie nor into should that. they? Yeah, well, you also shouldn't, right? But yeah. But, but, yeah. Be, but as a consequence of that, though, even if even even if you're fully bought into all of this, then if you run into one of these things, it's like you don't know the approach to take at some spot. If 
if the idea is that you just are supposed to know, but actually the most important thing is that you make progress no matter what, you know, quote unquote progress, right? Then what you're inevitably going to do is find a workaround within your toolset. within your the knowledge, toolset. your toolkit. Yeah. And you're going to find a workaround. It's going to be janky. It's going to be a long-term maintenance problem, um, but you're, you're going to get it done because what's what's the focus is getting it done. And that's the most important thing, right? And so you're going to get it done. And, uh, and then, you know, a month from now, had you instead just spent that whole day just researching, learning, trying stuff, like right, all of that kind of thing, and then had nothing to show for it that day except I tried these five things and those don't work, right? or, mm-hmm. or I couldn't figure this one out, right, uh, or whatever. And then maybe the next day rolls around, same thing, right? Got nothing to show because a whole bunch of things you learned that weren't going to work. Uh, but then now you didn't do any of those things, right? Because mm-hmm. that's the part that's the, it's the, it's the part that's missing is because you learned to not do those things, you didn't do them and you did not create that long-term maintenance nightmare, right? But those are, it's the stuff you didn't do is the most valuable stuff. Assuming, <laughs> yep. assuming that you, you know, are, are yep. trying to do a good job and all your goals are aligned, et cetera, et cetera, right? But assuming all of that, like your discovery of the things that you don't need to do is far more valuable than almost anything you actually do because the because the stuff that you do has a huge 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 cost and like and we can so that I've just from working on the game changer stuff together have tons of examples just in the past uh, whatever it's been five months or so we've been working on this where we'll like we'll th- we'll think we have one approach to it and then we'll like Seth will start it and he'll be like ah uh, I don't know and then we'll collaborate on it a Real bit weird. and then be like oh shit we can just not do like. This approach, we can just not take this approach. We can just not do this feature. We can just not do whatever. And then each time this has happened, we're looking at like the long-term consequence and we're like, holy shit, we just literally saved like two months of work, right? Yep. By not doing that. But that usually takes uh, sort of being very frustrated. They take a few days. around for a day or two and then I bring yeah. someone else in and talk for like four hours and being like, yeah. oh, fuck. Which is yep. not. But if if instead Seth was supported. like, well, <laughs> this, yeah, if instead Seth was just like, well, this is like, this is what we thought it made sense. This is what we're going to do. And like, this is hard, but I don't see like a, like a different approach I can take right now. Mm-hmm. So like, so I'll just, I'll and, just I, and I don't want to like call a meeting to be like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to waste anybody's that's time. That's me being a quitter, yeah. you know, right. wasting time. So yeah. I'm just going to spend the next three months just begging my head against this problem. Yeah. That's, or, that's or, if Seth brought it, or if Seth <laughs> brought it to my attention, you know, we chatted about it and then he was like, all right, but we only have half an hour and like whatever we end up with in half an hour, that's what we're going to do. And that was the, that was the approach, right? Uh, then who knows where we'd end up. And it's like, we would spend like half a day just being like, uh, and just like being confused and then like trying to give each other context and like researching things live and then like arguing about stuff. Right. And it might take, in a few cases, it took even more than a day because we kept on revisiting because we think we'd had it and revisited again, you know, but the end result of each time is we would spend like an hour, a half a day, a day, a few days uh, to then not have to spend in some cases, months. literally months like of, of active work, but in all cases, literal years of dealing with the consequences of those decisions we would have made, right? Where everything about, like there would be some aspect of the game changer, which everybody's going to be using for their work from here on out, right? That would have just been worse for just all of time. Yep. And so that's the, and so that's the thing that I think that's the one that like gets me, the, that freaks me out the most too, is, is always, it's actually not about what people are doing. It's, well, I mean, it is, but in the negative sense, which is like, what is it that people are doing right now that's going to be a problem, right? It's almost and like so is, is what I want people it, to do less and think more is like what I want to have happen because is the, what you've yeah. chosen to do informed by enough things that you have chosen to not do. Is kind yes, of exactly. That's exactly right. Wrap up. 
right? Because yeah, because yeah. the context is what it's always about. What are all of your alternatives, right? And mm-hmm. what what could you do? Why should or should not you take those different approaches to that? Because if you just like take the first idea you have, which, which we're all guilty of, this you know, it's a, it's not a, a built in thing to not do that. You just like you just start going, you know. You're just like, ooh, I, I see the solution. You just start going, and the inevitable result every single time, even if it works out fine, especially for like smaller cases and stuff. Even when it does work out fine, if you just would have taken an extra X minutes, extra X hours, right, and just done a little bit of extra work up front or even a lot, it would have come out so much better in the long term. Just like just so I mean, much the, the best thing that I did to to work on the game changer uh, web syncing and conflict resolution issues was to just stop trying to program it and spend an entire morning making flowcharts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You were struggling <laughs> like with it for I, like I was, three days or something. I, and yeah, then I was stuck in it for three days. I was like, I just, I keep running into stuff. That's just so confusing, you know? And then on Monday's week, I'm like, fuck it. It's flowchart time. Yep. And I just spent the day just mapping out what needs to happen. And then suddenly on Tuesday, it's like, okay, we have, it's almost done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's the so, bias towards action is actually the thing that, that destroys you get locked into destroys it. you, destroys a company, destroys yeah. morale, destroys yeah. everything, destroys a, the long term uh, everything. As a as a final shout out to wrap up the episode, there's a, a book that I started reading, which actually kind of, kind of speaks to this. Which is, it's called Four Thousand Weeks: Time Management for Mortals, and it's it's basically a book about this kind of a mindset um, with the idea that like the more you do, the more you have to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So when it comes to time management, don't orient toward checking off as many things off a checklist as you can. Orient toward doing as little as you can. Try to figure out how to not have things on the checklist. Try to not have things on the checklist and try to only have the things that you're doing be just the things that actually matter and really take the time to make sure that they actually do matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because you could spend all day checking off little tiny mundane things on a checklist and feel like you've, you know, moved stuff forward Nothing's when really changed. you just, you mm-hmm. just made more work for yourself. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's one of those things like I, uh, for my own home life, like this has become an obsession of mine because like ch- ch- the existence of chores is something that just like burns through my will and burns through my, just any amount of happiness I could possibly muster. Right? Like it's like fucking chores. The fact that I have to do something to like manage a, a physical Manually. thing out in the world. All, of the, like, yeah, all the time. <laughs> it's just, I just like, it just drives me. It just, I, I cannot stand it. But there's so many things about like the way the world is up and the expectations that we all have put on ourselves and that we've also internalized about like what you're supposed to do that we're basically chore generation machines, right? Like everything that you're supposed to do about like how you maintain your household and how you like to do whatever, right? It's all like, here's, here's all the chores you have to do now, right? Like, cause like you're supposed to have this fancy thing. What does fancy mean? Fancy th- means you have to spend time maintaining it. Cause that's how, that's how you prove that you're fancy. Cause you can afford that activity. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and uh-huh. like, and you, you, like we, and we have all these things that we're all taught. Like, like, you know, I have a yard, which I love the idea of having a yard and I have a yard and it's like romanticized, you know, and I've done a lot of yard work in my youth, but but I had to, mm-hmm. it was just, here's the chores handed down from, you know, parents up high, right? Like here's, here's your outdoor chores. Uh, and, and then once I like, finally, I was like just looking forward to being an adult. So like finally in my thirties, get a, get a house and get like, it has, a, has a, it's a small yard. And then all of a sudden every fucking day there's chores I could be doing, you know, where it's like, do I go pull some weeds? There's like stuff growing through cracks. Do I, like, what do I, what do I go do out there now? And for the first like couple of years, it was my, my wife and I would like plant some vegetables and do stuff, you know. But then if you plant vegetables, well, you got to go you take care of those vegetables. You got to maintain yeah. them and you got to collect, harvest them. Yeah. And so last, or maybe so two summers ago, and I did like, you know, mow a little strip of lawn and stuff. So two summers ago, I was just like, 
no, just fuck all of this. And so I had, <laughs> I had a company come rip out all the grass, just mulch everything instead. And like I have, I still have all my cool plants and stuff that are out there that the prior owners did good, you know, uh, landscaping on. And, and now it's just like, it's like whatever survives gets to survive. That's the whole, that's the whole thing. I'm not taking special care of Jack's shit. If there's a plant that like sounds like it'd be cool to have, uh, I'll just, you know, maybe get it if I feel like putting it in the ground, but if I can't survive after I put it there, that's its fucking problem, right? I got stuff to do. It's Adam's, it's Adam's capitalist garden. You know, it's every, (laughs) it's just competition. Only the strongest survive. (laughs) Uh If one plant monopolizes the entire mulch But the the, the point is though, (laughs) is to pull the chores out, right? It's it's to get rid of the stuff that's just eating up that time. And if you don't do it to the framing on it too, right? Because like depending on the person, because some people do enjoy like gardening as a thing. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, so, a, that's so, a hobby, not a, tr- exactly. not a chores. Yeah. yeah. But I think yeah. it's one of those things yeah. where like it, if the, if you can manage a framing shift on these things too, where it transfers it from being this like, yeah, a, a thing that kind of burns you every time you think about the fact that you have to do it to a thing that either you look forward to, or that just somehow doesn't matter uh, to you. So my, my wife's like sort of framing on sort of internal house chores and stuff is fascinating um, because she's always just thought about it as like, Oh, well, I mean, you're as, like you're just part of the family and like we just take care of each other in the house. And so it's an expression, it becomes an expression of taking care of the other people, which for me, it wasn't like, it wasn't ever linked to a higher level thing too much before somebody, cause it was task list oriented. Right. So now like if I see the trash is full, I just take it out and it, and I actually get a little bit of status, dare I say a little bit of satisfaction out of it, as opposed to before having a list and then being like, ah, this fucking list keeps getting longer, you know? Um, and so there are, there's well, some of these. Yeah. It's the things that have to happen out. versus, you know, should happen versus whatever. Right? Yeah. Because, yeah. It's, it's, it's agency. It's, it's about, yeah. it's about choice. It's about agency. <laughs> and it's also about consequences, right? Cause like the fact is if you don't take out the trash, what happens? Well, now you can't throw yeah. stuff away and your house starts to smell, right? Like there's, there's an obvious bad consequence, right? If you, if you change your vacuuming schedule from, uh, every day to once a week or from once a week to, to every two weeks. Right. Does that actually like, is anything worse? Yeah. Like it's not worse. It's fine. Right. But that depends on your, that depends on a lot of stuff that's going on. But the oh, idea no. is yeah, to yeah. look at what's going on and it's figure out. It's for you. And I think that's the thing. It's like, it's exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the to treat it as a for you thing. Yeah. And if, yeah. but if you, if you're only using the like, well, you're supposed to do X. Right. So that, yeah. cause, cause literally everything you're supposed to do gives you more stuff to do. Right. And so yeah. if, if everything is dictated by what you're supposed to do and you don't take a step back and just reveal, cause like the fact is, this is all made up. All of it is made up. So you don't have to do anything in any particular way, except, you know, required by law, et cetera. Uh, but which are also like, made you know, up. Yeah, it's, also made, it's up. also made yeah. up. It's just that you can. But you go to bad, jail if you don't. Bad do things can happen to you. Well, because yeah, because there are consequences to the actions, of course, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. not that you literally get to do whatever you want, um, and that you, you know, that you, you don't have like full choice, but you have it's a lot more. Arbitrary. You have yeah. a lot more than you think you do. Yeah. So try, you know, do less. Yeah. Just try to do less. I think it's a good place to leave it for the week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.